Then the third setting of the show takes place in the United States, specifically Louisiana. And the characters here own a shipping company. And they act as the brokers between the Mexican cartels and the organized Italian crime families or groups that order the drugs. They are the broker as well as the shipper slash transporter because, again, they own a shipping company. What up, 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 folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 185 of the Spun Today podcast, and in this episode, I speak about the Amazon original shows, 000 and Solos. I also speak about UFC 262, some podcast news, and the results of the New York City mayoral primary elections. Stick around for all that good stuff, folks. But first, here's a very quick way that you can help support this show. The Sponsor Day newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to sponsorday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address, and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. Zero, zero, zero. All spelled out in all one word. So it's not like zero space, zero space, zero space, or zero comma, zero comma, zero comma. It's zero, 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 all spelled out, one word. It's a new or recently new, 2020 it came out, Amazon original show. It's a very good series, like a very well done show. You know, not like a show that was just like slapped together, throw some stars and some writers in a room and, and see what comes out type of thing. It, it's like a from a quality perspective, like very high quality, very well done show. And it's based on a book by Roberto Saviano, which is always dope to see, right? There's definitely a, a life goal for me to have a show or a movie based on a book by Tony Ortiz or based on a story by Tony Ortiz. But I digress. The actual show is written by Stefano Baises, Leonardo Fazzoli, Mauricio Katz, and Stefano Solima. And this is the official synopsis. A cocaine shipment makes its way to Europe, starting from the moment a powerful cartel of Italian criminals decides to buy it, to its journey through Mexico, to its shipment across the Atlantic Ocean. That, honestly, in my opinion, does not do this show justice. 
And also, come to think of about it, neither does the trailer. Because I remember hearing about the show, but I don't remember where. Or maybe it just came up on, like, you know, you might like this type of thing. And I saw the trailer, and I was like, eh. And this official synopsis is along those, li- uh, along those lines. Then I heard Tom Segura describe the show on Rogan's podcast. And I was like, what? Is that the same show? And I was like, it can't. Like, he was, like, so emphatic and so into it. And described things about the show that just had me like damn i gotta check that shit out so i did and i loved it so the story of the show generally and i don't i don't think there's gonna be many like spoilers in here i'm just gonna kind of like outline the show but there might be spoilers you know when i go off on rants and shit i don't know so if it's not your thing feel free to fast forward but generally the show takes place in three different settings mexico which is where the drugs are being shipped from and we get when the show is in Mexico, we get like a look at the cartels and, you know, like the usual drug cartel, drug scene themes that we normally see in like drug movies or like drug shows, right? Violence, guns, drugs, covert operations to like ship them, etc. But even though we get that, it's not just that. We also see the side of the drug trade within Mexico that has to do with the military the political entanglements within the illicit drug trade so you have like the mexican police and the military which like beef with each other and you have paid off dirty cops and military personnel on both sides you know that are really working for the drug cartels you have the clean ones that are really trying to fight against drugs and you get to see like all those different types of dynamics like play out when we are seeing like the Mexican side of this. The second setting or main setting of the show takes place in Italy, which is where you see more of a, not necessarily mafia, although I guess you could call it like a type of mafia, but it's not like heavy on, you know, Cosa Nostra type of thing, but it's definitely like the organized crime characters over there that fuck with drugs. And then you see like the infighting, and you know climbing the organized crime ladder beefs that go on on that side and what's really cool that i think uh adds to like the authenticity or like the authentic feel of the show is that when we're in mexico everything all dialogue all everything is predominantly in spanish because mexico is a spanish-speaking country so it makes sense um so you have like english subtitles when you're in italy Everything is mainly in Italian, which makes sense, right? Obviously. So you have like subtitles whenever the show cuts in and out of like scenes and and sections of the show that take place in, in these settings. Then the third setting of the show takes place in the United States, specifically Louisiana. And the characters here own a shipping company and they act as the brokers between the Mexican cartels and the organized Italian crime families or groups that order the drugs they are the broker as well as the shipper slash transporter because again they own a shipping company that takes care of getting the drugs from point a to point b and for doing so collect a percentage or fee and this is ran by a family a small family basically the father and his daughter and then they have uh the mother of the family died um of a disease and they the brother of the family has that same disease it's like a a disease that gets progressively worse i forget the name of it as he ages um he has the same disease as as his mother had 
So it's mainly the father and the daughter's like the right hand of the father. And the father is played by Gabriel Byrne, which is, if you guys ever seen The Usual Suspects, classic movie. He is, fuck, I can't think of his name in Usual Suspects. He's not Kevin Spacey's character, uh, Verbal Kent. He's the guy, McManus, was it? He's the guy that Verbal Kent told Chaz Palminteri was Kaiser Soze, but really wasn't because, spoiler alert, Verbal Kent was Kaiser Soze all along. Anyway, that guy <laughs> is Gabriel Byrne, and he plays the father, the patriarch of the family. And they have a legit shipping business. You know, they have a port in Louisiana, they have boats, and, you know, they ship containers all around the world uh, legitimately, but also have this drug brokering business going on within their legitimate business which as he puts it to his daughter one of those shipments pay is you know makes more money than the rest of the legitimate business makes in like half a year or something like that something else that i like about the show that was refreshing to see is not just the usual drug cartel u.s story that we're used to seeing you know like the drug cartel smuggling drugs across the border either you know with mules or through tunnels etc and getting them to like the urban neighborhoods in the in the u.s and the gangs and shit and selling drugs here but it shows you know obviously drugs is a worldwide phenomenon if you will other people in other countries do them obviously and it shows mexico satisfying that worldwide supply and demand type of need you know being the or being a rather global player when it comes to the drug game and it was interesting because honestly, you know, call it bias, you know, being being American and being here in the U.S. Or again, just being programmed with the usual stories and cases they hear about of the U.S. being like the number one consumer of drugs and just having the drugs flow from like Colombia, Mexico to the U.S. That I never even like considered like other countries and how that would play out. So it was like really interesting to see like that perspective. And the way they ship it was fucking clever too. They have like a jalapeno company or whatever like canned jalapenos and they would hollow out like the bottom quarter of a can of jalapenos and put like a quarter of a key or half a key i don't know what the exact denomination is but a fucking brick of coke on the bottom of these like hollowed out jalapeno cans and then fill out the rest the top of it with the legit jalapenos and you know they're in cans with their labels and branding and stuff like that and on pallets you know pallets full of this stuff within a container ship so you know somebody at customs or something that you know even if they open up one of these cans they're just going to see like shitload of jalapenos so that, that was pretty cool also the writing in the show is really fucking good and it's the type of show you, you know when i know at least for me when like writing on a show like this is good it's when you find yourself empathizing with or sympathizing with and even in some cases rooting for the bad guys and in this, you know, the quote-unquote bad guys. And in this show, like, they're technically all fucking bad guys, right? It's fucking drug cartels, dirty military personnel, dirty cops, brokers of drugs that illegally ship them across the world to organized crime members that distribute the drugs in their country, etc. Like, everybody in this is a quote-unquote bad guy, right? But the writing is such, and the stories are such, that it, like, humanizes each and every character. And you wind up, like, rooting for them. In some cases, like, wanting them to, like, get away with, like, the crazy fucked up shit that they're doing when you look at it objectively. 
And that's like, to me, the power of like really good writing that just like immerses you in this world and makes you relate to characters. Also from like a writing or I guess maybe more of a, a director's perspective, I, I don't know who would be the driver of this type of decision. But something really cool that the show does is that they have a lot of flashback scenes. It's not like traditional flashback scenes where you have like one constant through line of the story and then a character winds up flashing back. And then after that flashback, you go back to where you left off before you flash back. What this show will do, and it does constantly, sometimes, you know, more than once or twice within a single episode, is it'll take you like 20, 30 minutes into an episode and, you know, different scenes will play out, but then it'll get to a point where then it'll flash back timeline wise it'll flash back and then you get to see what another character was doing during that exact same time and how they arrived at the point where you were at before before the flashback happened i think i did a shit job of describing (laughs) what i meant there so let me try it again so picture picture this picture you and me right now right you person listening to this and me telling you this um picture you know me going through my day, going about my day, you know, interacting with people, doing whatever it is that I'm doing. And then at the end of the day, I get to a restaurant and then you meet me at that restaurant and then you and me sit down and have a conversation. What the show will do at that point after we have that conversation is then it'll flash back. And instead of showing me going through my day and having interactions with people, it'll show you and your perspective and you going through your day and having interactions with people. And then show how you arrived at that restaurant where you and me meet and have that conversation. So the show does that a lot, which is really interesting. And and the way you can tell that it's about to do that is the same theme music from the opening credits. It's like a, a piano piece. It'll start playing while you're watching the show. Like during a scene, you'll start hearing it creep up in the background. Like that same melodic piano score, if you will. And then it flashes back. And then you sometimes don't even realize that's what it's doing. You just think it's like a different scene or something. You don't realize what it's doing until you see like a character wind up at the point where you left them off before that flashback. So it plays a lot with perspective in that way. So it's pretty cool. And lastly, what I'll say about zero 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 is from a social commentary perspective, which I think the show was speaking to, is that no matter who you put in place or take out of place, the forces at play within the illegal drug trade will continue to perpetuate. So a different cartel could rise to the ranks in Mexico, different organized crime, you know, member or, or family could take over, different brokers can be involved, and that drug trade will continue to be that drug trade and continue to perpetuate, which is an interesting takeaway, if I do say so myself. Anyway, folks, that is the Amazon original show called Zero Zero Zero. Available now on Prime Video. I highly recommend it. Check it out. Next up is another Amazon original show called Solos. S-O-L-O-S. Which I just realized is... What do you call that? The term? What's the term? A homonym, I think. Don't quote me on that, though. Like when, when a word is spelled the same way forwards and backwards. Anyway, <laughs> the show was created by David Wheel. The writers of the show are David Wheel, Becca Bowling... Stacy Osei Kufor and Tori Sampson. And this is the official synopsis of the show. Seven unique character-driven stories. Each character will set off on a thrilling adventure in an uncertain future, and they'll come to reckon that even during our most isolated moments, we are all connected through the human experience. 
Now, that to me sounds pretty good in describing the show, but a little too sci-fi fantasy-ish, which I don't consider the show to be, even though, I don't know, I have like a weird relationship with like fantasy and sci-fi and this coming from somebody who wrote a science fiction novel but i generally don't like that like fantastical fantasy like type of thing which sci-fi like you know blurs a very close gray line with but like something like back to the future for example one of the greatest trilogies ever in my opinion definitely one of the best 80s movies that is technically considered a a, a sci-fi movie because it plays with the theme of time travel but this show is more in my opinion it's more like a black mirror ish which again it's also like sci-fi because it's dealing with near future different types of realities and artificial intelligence and stuff like that but i don't know maybe it's my own bias and maybe i'm wrong on it but like when i think like sci-fi and like fantasy and stuff like that i think like hobbits and wizards and harry potter like fantastical like type of things magic and shit like that and again i could be wrong but that's not what this is anyway (laughs) um what i love about this and and this i know is not everybody's thing but i love monologues and i love dialogues and kind of like that self-exploration that's going on within a monologue when someone is both speaking aloud but also kind of like speaking to themselves. It's kind of like the way I see like free writing. It's like sometimes I'm free writing in generalities and for others and maybe with the thought that maybe somebody someday might read this, but at the same time and more so it's kind of self-reflection and I'm speaking to me. And in a lot of cases trying to like understand and realize something and work through something within myself. And I see like monologues as like the verbal version of that. And dialogues a a close second. But anyway, each of these shows, there's only one and sometimes two characters within each of these like episodes. And it's a mini series that only has, I believe it's seven episodes. Yes, seven unique character driven stories. And in the cases where there is two characters, where there are two characters rather, the second character is like an artificial intelligence in most cases. But I'll spoil for you a couple of stories of the seven, a couple of my favorites. The first one of which was a mother that's home alone, a pregnant mother that's home alone. There is a blizzard going on outside and you you can like see it through the windows and she's also playing the radio and the radio says, you know, bridges and tunnels are now closed. Everybody stay in your homes for the next, you know, 24 to 48 hours, et cetera, et cetera. It's describing like how bad the blizzard is and she's pregnant. So you kind of see like what's coming. It kind of looks like a regular house, you know, a lady in her in her kitchen, but the radio looks like futuristic. It's like a hologram-ish type of radio, and like like the lyrics of the song she was listening to were like projected up like in a hologram, so you could like read them. But everything else like looks regular, you know, like current times. So it's like near futurish, you know, like certain technologies have advanced. Again, similar to like a Black Mirror episode. Then you see like her sonograms of like pictures of her her sonogram like on the fridge and like hung up and stuff like that and something that says like new baby or something and kind of like new baby what's that long story short she goes into labor which is like what we foresaw happening right in that situation and she tries calling her doctor doctor picks up and speaks to her but it's like cutting in and out then the call drops and she can't 
get like clear conversation with the doctor going on. She tells the doctor, I think I'm in labor. The doctor says, no, but it's too soon. That's not supposed to happen. Something must have went wrong. Then, you know, she can't get in touch with the doctor again. So she calls 911. And again, she goes through the same thing. The phone's breaking up. She, you know, gets to tell them that she's in labor and she's by herself. And then the call drops. Then long story short, she winds up having the baby herself, fucking like squatting there on the floor. She cuts the umbilical cord, wraps the baby up, puts the baby in the bassinet. She's like in pain. And, but she's like walking to get like a bottle or to turn off the, the stove or something. And then she hears something in the next room where she put the baby in the bassinet. And she goes back and the baby's not in the bassinet. You're like, what the fuck? Somebody like break in and take the baby. Like what's going on? Then you hear like running around. And then she looks behind her and the baby is there. And the baby's like two or three years old. (laughs) And you're like, what the fuck? And then the doctor calls back and he's able to get through. And she she like tells him what happened. And he's like breaking up a bit. But she's he's like, listen, you're in danger. That's not supposed to happen. It was too soon. Something must be wrong with the like the new baby fucking dosage that we gave you. You know, so apparently you can have these like new type of babies where you get pregnant and I don't know. <laughs> but something went wrong and the thing aged fucking three years and like three minutes. And the doctor pretty much tells her it like cuts in and out, but he tells her, Listen, you have to protect yourself at all costs and you gotta kill it. Like do what you have to do, but get rid of it. This wasn't supposed to happen and you're in danger. And so she like grabs a knife, but you know, it's like she just had her baby. So she's like, What the fuck do I do? Then a little while later the baby's now fucking 11 years old and he's like i'm hungry can you give me milk or this that whatever give me make me a sandwich and she's like having this dialogue with the baby and also going through the cognitive dissonance of am i gonna kill my own kid like what's going on then the kid turns like 18 after a little while and they're like speaking and then the cops show up and they knock on the door and they say you know are you all right in there we got a, a call uh, about a disturbance or something going on and she's like contemplating now like what to do and spoiler alert by the way i pretty much told you like the entire show <laughs> but she winds up telling the cop that she's okay and it's just her and her son that are there and then like the show ends and it's like really interesting each show is like completely different first of all but it's like around that same type of theme like you by yourself in a specific situation Sometimes you're completely by yourself the entire time in like certain episodes and you're like Anne Hathaway, for example, she has, she's in an episode, which there's great actors in this. I'll I'll list out the the actors in in a few minutes just to give you an idea, but amazing actors, like A-list actors in each episode. Um, But Anne Hathaway, her story, she's like some scientist that's working on time travel and she has these... uh, like minority report looking like screens in front of her and she's able to get herself from her past on one and herself in the future on another and she's like speaking to herself but it's like her past self and her future self and she's trying to like figure some shit out so it's like one episode which is so it's like technically three people but it's really all just her there's an episode with anthony mackie which is interesting and it's a a future where you can order a clone of yourself if you have enough money. And the reason why people do that is, like in Anthony Mackie's case, he's terminally ill with cancer and he's dying, but he doesn't want his family 
to have that void of him not, no longer being there. So he, there's like this program that you can order like a clone of yourself that you know downloads all your thoughts and memories and mannerisms and everything and literally looks exactly like you it looks like twins and you get to meet them before you die and interact with them and then when you die he like takes your place in the family and your family can go on you know knowing that that's not really you but that's like a substitute for you or whatever so they don't like have that void and in that episode like the entire episode is anthony mackie uh, his character you know, speaking to his clone. So it's, again, really himself. But he's, like, speaking to him about, like, family and, and you know, first off, not being okay with the whole thing and, like, pushing back against it and then kind of, like, getting to know himself a little bit more while he's, like, describing his family and why he's doing this first family and telling his clone certain things about his wife and certain things about his children, like, what he's going to miss the most and, like, stuff like that. And it's really, like, intimate and interesting in that way. One of my favorite episodes is with uh, Constance Wu, which I'm not going to spoil for you guys because I wasn't like expecting the twist that came um, with it, like kind of like the double twist at the end uh, of that one. But that one was just like straight monologue, just her. And yeah, it's just a really interesting show if you're into that type of thing. And let me tell you what the which characters are in this, and so I can leave you with that. You have Anne Hathaway, like I said before, Constance Wu. You have Helen Mirren. Anthony Mackie, Nicole Bahari, Uzo Aduba, which is Crazy Eyes from Orange is the New Black, Dan Stevens, and Morgan motherfucking Freeman, who is technically in all seven shows because he, of course, does voiceover, <laughs> but the he is also like the star of the last episode. Anyways, that is Solos, which is another Amazon original miniseries, which you can check out on Amazon Prime Video. UFC 264 took place on July 10th, 2021. Now, I'm a little late to, I guess, like recapping or or speaking to this one, partly because I only do so, you know, during these episodes that air every other Thursday. And sometimes it kind of like lines up that the fight like just happened a few days ago. If it was like this past weekend, for example, and it's coming out this Thursday, but in this case, this happened like a week and a half ago, almost. But my feedback is always is for posterity and folks that kind of like want to look back on things, not necessarily to give you like the cutting edge, breaking news, new information that you haven't heard yet. Also, full disclosure, I was not able to see this entire card or even like most of the fights. How I was watching was like a bit choppy for some reason. I don't know why. So I like filled in what I was able to see along with like all the clips and shit that came out afterwards. So I'm only going to speak to two fights. One which interested me, which was uh, Sean O'Malley, who beat Chris Moutinho in a third round KO TKO. Sean O'Malley is like one of these, he's like an up and coming fighter that's kind of like a uh, cross between conor mcgregor and takashi 69 <laughs> you know what i mean like he's like uh he can talk on the mic he does a lot of like showboating type of shit he paints his hair in different rainbow colors and to like get attention and shit but he's he's walking the walk so far from like all the talking the talk that he's doing and he's entertaining to watch right that's why a lot of us are, like watching conor because he is entertaining and that's part of the game as well especially on the promotion side of things, which is like a, a sad truth 
to the sport kind of because although it is entertaining and i do enjoy it and i like it there's also something about like the stoic true martial artist you know humble like the khabib nurgamedovs the gsps that go in there execute you know do their thing and don't have to talk shit and are widely regarded as some of the best fighters in the world ever but then on the flip side when you have somebody that just like garners a lot of attention and gets you to want to watch because either like you hate them and one want to see them be beat like floyd mayweather or something like that for most folks or like conor mcgregor like that's a different type of excitement and attention that you want to give uh, to the fight and sean o'malley is definitely within that camp but again he's not just that he's really good as well and he showed that in this fight with a lot of showboating and which is kind of funny and he was like simulating playing basketball and like he does this at the end of some of, of his fights where he'll like knock somebody out and then like jump back and like do like a shooting motion like he's doing a fadeaway and during this fight he was doing like between the legs and like crossover with like an invisible basketball while he's like punching the guy what's crazy though is that he was like cracking this guy chris motinho a lot like to the point put it this way to the point that they're now calling chris motinho uh the brazilian zombie similar to the korean zombie which we know got that name from just taking a beating and just like still walking forward and like never dropping and shit now they're calling this guy the brazilian zombie the tanto golpe que le dio sean o'malley so that was pretty interesting so hats off to sean o'malley sugar sean o'malley for his victory there and last but not least the dustin poirier and conor mcgregor main event much anticipated main event the rubber match if you will dustin poirier and conor mcgregor both had one knockout apiece each on each other the first fight went to conor mcgregor in a knockout the second fight which was more recent within the past i want to say three to six months it wasn't that long ago dustin poirier knocked out conor mcgregor and this was the tie-breaking third bout which sadly turned out in a leg breaking of conor mcgregor's left leg see what i did there Dustin Poirier beat Conor McGregor after the first round to a TKO doctor's stoppage. If you watch the clips, there was a lot of controversy of where, when Conor like really broke the leg. Some people say it was uh, like a checked from like um, Dustin Poirier checking Conor's kicks, like low calf kicks. Some people I saw were saying that it was due to a kick that Conor threw like right before he stepped back onto the broken leg um, he threw a kick kind of like an up kick that landed seemed to land but not really but seemed to land on dustin poirier's elbow some people say that that is what like cracked it according to conor mcgregor after the fact he went in to that fight with multiple stress fa- fractures and that's what really did him in but who knows long story short it was a first round where dustin was dominating conor according to the judges scorecards I think it was like one judge had a 10-9 and the other two judges had a 10-8, which I heard was controversial. But again, it's two judges out of the three have a 10-8. That's pretty dominant on scorecard-wise. And the other judge had a 10-9, all in favor of of Dustin Poirier. But they were trading. And Connor was obviously throwing a lot of uh, low calf kicks. Then Nguna, Connor, like, does that up kick that seems to hit Dustin's elbow and then when connor steps back to put his foot down his leg breaks or it's like broken i guess at that point and he puts it down and then 
doesn't have a, a leg to stand on pun unintended then dustin just swarms throws a couple punches and the the ref uh, obviously stops it then the doctor comes in while we're watching all like the slow instant replays and stuff and seeing conor mcgregor's leg like just like look like rubber it's like he goes one way the leg goes the other when he steps down now it's apparently as reported by by conor afterwards like on his instagram live and shit it was a, a clean leg break his tibia and fibia and he now is going to have a titan titanium rod from his knee down to his ankle and he's gonna have to go through like six weeks of recovery on crutches and then after that after those six weeks then you know like building back up the muscle and physical therapy and like stuff like that around the leg which by the way and this is something that that i've thought of before but how is it like legal for like fighters to have like titanium shit you know what i mean like i I would think like that's i mean it would be fucked up if they break something and tell them oh sorry you can never fight again but at the same time doesn't that like hurt more than like just regular bone like a titanium rod and can't you like weaponize that like in a fight i would think so right i don't know anyway after for those of you that were following like the the past couple fights like the first fight you know was like during connor's like rise and he was kind of like the the show Bodhi, like talk a lot of shit, get in, get into your opponent's head type of Connor that everybody like either loved or hated to love or love to hate rather. And that was during their first bout during their second bout, you know, it was like a, this like more mature Connor. And he was like very cordial and, and nice to Dustin and said nice things about him. And there was no like shit talking. Then this third fight, he went back to that like bad guy Connor mode or whatever. Right? He was talking like a lot of shit and you know connor's known to do this and to him it's like all business like after the fact that he's like you know i'm just like doing it to sell and promote a fight and stuff like that from dustin's perspective he crossed the line and he said things that he shouldn't have said talking about like that he was going to kill him and you know you don't play around with death and stuff like that which kind of seemed like a weird thing to be sensitive about from dustin's uh, perspective but teaches on right you can't tell somebody what to and not to you know take offense to um it just seems like a like an obvious thing that somebody would say like oh i'm gonna kill you in there and you're like what how dare you talk about death so i just found it weird and i felt like it was like more about something else but we also did see like this sore loser side of connor which we hadn't seen before in his previous losses and clearly it's from like the frustration your leg just fucking broke and you're sitting in the middle of a ring and and you know you you work so hard to get this fight again as soon as possible so you can like avenge your loss and then something like this happens it has to be frustrating so but you know no excuses like it's he he was still like shouting and talking shit while he was sitting down and clearly frustrated but he said shit like like even rogan went went up to him after and like sat down next to him after like dustin's uh uh post-fight interview you just like see the frustration on connor and like what he's saying and stuff and then rogan even like backed off a little bit from him and it's kind of like all right like this guy's like going through some shit um but before he did connor was like started saying uh that dustin's wife is a whore and that she's in his dms and stuff (laughs) and like some some like weird shit like that which just like seemed like petty and like very it was like a bad look in my opinion for connor and kind of like exacerbated like that bad blood between them and he's saying that they're gonna fight again when he gets better but who knows as it stands, technically, 
It's uh, two wins for Dustin, one for Connor. An interesting, weird take that, that I saw on that whole situation was Ronda Rousey's take on it, which was that Connor is so good at promoting fights that, you know, most fighters wouldn't even think in that moment where their leg is broken to promote the next fight, but that he was so good in, in creating that controversy right there on the spot that people want to see a fourth fight now between him and Dustin. And that was like her take on it, but I don't know. That to me sounded kind of like a stretch. If it's true, if that was like his intent and people do, you know, rally behind seeing a fourth fight between them, then he's a fucking genius mastermind at fucking marketing and promoting. But I think that's giving a little uh, too much credit. And honestly, it didn't make me want to like see them fight again. I would definitely watch it if it happened, but I would want Connor to come back from this if he chooses to, to fight again, come back from this, build himself up, have another fight, at least one, maybe two fights, you know, win, hopefully, and then earn his way back up to Dustin. And of course, have Dustin now fight for a title. But that's just me. Anyway, that's my recap of UFC 264. Podcast news, podcast news. This is just a quick update on the whole Joe Budden podcast, Rory and Maul podcast saga. So Joe Budden decided to go on to Patreon. Remember, he has that like Patreon deal where he was like the head of creative something or creator's rights or like something like that. But he pretty much put his podcast behind the paywall uh, with Patreon, which some podcasters do. Some podcasters do it exclusively with like uh, Luminary, for example, which is a different service. Uh, some uh, podcasters do it exclusively with Patreon. Some podcasters do it, um, you know, like Apple now, I think, released like its own paywall type service. Some people do it on their own websites, et cetera. People do that, right? The model which I like, which seems to make sense to me, which is the direction that I thought Joe Budden was going in, is kind of like a, like a flagrant two model. With their podcast, they're mainly on YouTube and, you know, just audio on you know podcatchers you know spotify apple etc and then they have either an extra show on patreon for paid subscribers tim Dillon does this and many other podcasts do this as well so their main you know bulk of their shows are on youtube on all podcatchers complete for free and then they give like extra shit extra content exclusively on patreon and i thought that's what joe button was doing initially but somewhere along the line he just moved completely over to patreon and then clips of his podcast he was dropping on YouTube. Kind of similar to like a Rogan, how Rogan is exclusively on Spotify. But as part of his deal, even though Spotify didn't want this, Rogan knew like the power of getting eyeballs on your show through YouTube, through clips. Um, so he negotiated the ability to drop clips of the Joe Rogan experience, even though they're exclusive to Spotify, dropping clips on the Clips channel on YouTube. The idea being that from the hundreds of thousands and millions of views that these clips get on YouTube, you know, it drives traffic towards Spotify. It's like advertising for your show, right? A lot of shows do this, even if they have uh, their show primarily on YouTube, they'll have a separate clips show or a, a clips channel for their show. So people can stumble upon that and be like, oh shit, I want to go watch like the whole show. And some shows, including my own, for example, you just do that like within your own channel as well. You know, it's the different different ways to like play around with this stuff. So like I'll take a show and I'll chop it up 
into different segments and I'll put them all like within my same feed, my same channel. Some people do that. Some people create a whole separate channel just for the clips, etc. So anyway, Joe Budden did that. And again, this is after like the fallout with Rory and Maul. And, you know, Rory and Maul is starting like their own thing. And he went behind Patreon alone and he was dropping the clips on YouTube. Now, Rory and Maul during this time, they're putting out their podcast. They're around their like fifth or sixth episode right now. I've watched not all of them, but at, at least two or three. And I like it. I hope they continue like this momentum. Um, I'm definitely not the only one that likes it. And I'm happy to see and glad to see that they're doing numbers already. Like they have over 200,000 subscribers. Each episode gets like over half a million views on YouTube alone, which again, YouTube is a fraction of what podcasts receive via audio listens. So I'm sure they're doing much more than that per episode when you include all, you know, audio podcasting platforms. Again, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. They're also doing other like creative things like uh, like skits, which, which are which are really funny. And I enjoyed like the the first one that they put out was like them playing on the fact that they got fired from uh, the Joe Budden podcast. And, like, having to, like, look for a job and shows them, like, going on job interviews and not knowing how to do it and, like, stuff like that. And it was just, like, funny. Um, another one that I saw was Rory on a date, like, on a first date with someone. And just, like, the interaction between them was funny. And and I like to see that creativity, you know, and, you know, playing around with different things. Now, apparently, Joe Budden's podcast, in terms of, like, numbers, was slipping, which... I don't know, it's kind of like a double-edged sword when you make a move like that, right? When you go to, like, exclusively behind a paywall, you should expect less because not everybody's going to follow you behind a, a paywall. But at the same time, from a financial perspective, maybe it makes sense because the people that do follow you are going to make it so that the money they pay to see you behind that paywall is more than you were making on advertising dollars when putting your show out for free on YouTube. But apparently, that was the case. Um... With Joe Budden's podcast, because now he's switching again to a hybrid model and going back to YouTube. And he's going to have a couple Patreon-only shows per week, a couple of YouTube-only shows per week. The YouTube clips are going to continue even from the Patreon shows on YouTube and kind of do like this like cross-pollination thing, which I think is a, like a better, smarter move. But again, that's just me from the outside looking in. And if he's making that move, apparently it makes dollars and cents as well. Interestingly... Uh, DJ Academics was on the Flagrant 2 podcast recently, which is interesting because it's kind of like a merging of these camps, right? It's like you have Flagrant 2, which is obviously a separate entity, but it's hosted, co-hosted by Andrew Schultz, which also co-hosts a show called Brilliant Idiots with Charlemagne the God. Charlemagne the God and Joe Budden have had this like feud and beef for some time, as well as, you know, Rory and Maul, which were in that Joe Budden camp before, obviously, like this entire fallout. But then after the fallout, Rory and Maul are recording their show at WTF Studios, which is owned by Wheezy and Alex Media. Alex Media is the producer of and part of the Flagrant 2 podcast. And then DJ Academics was like always had like a beef with Rory and Maul and used to tell Joe Budden that he should like fire them and that, that they're dead weight, etc. And he's like also cool with charlemagne so it's like this weird triangle of like friendships and beefs and podcasts shit talking back and forth like throughout but anyway dj academics 
take on the situation is that Rory and Maul, the only reason why they're doing numbers is because of the fallout from the Joe Budden podcast and people kind of like want to see what it is that they're going to do. And I guess that could be part of the case, but not all of it. I mean, they're doing really, really, really good numbers, really strong numbers. And of course, some of it is going to be just from the fallout and people like DJ Academics thinks, you know, just wanting to see what's up. What are these guys going to do now? Let's go see, you know, what they talk about. And people just like into like the gossip side of shit. But it can't all be that. And the same could be said on the flip side. The reason why Joe's numbers are flipping are because people left and are now with the Rory and Maul quote unquote camp or whatever and don't want to fuck with Joe anymore. And the Joe Budden podcast worked because of the chemistry of them three on that show, as I've said so myself. But does that mean that the Joe Budden podcast can't build up and, you know, continue the momentum that it had before? Eventually, no, of course not. Like, it'll continue to grow and, and, and do its thing, I'm sure. And they're not, like, mutually exclusive things. I don't know. I just want to see them all win, all do well, all do good. I'll continue to grind and put out content. Hopefully, Rory and Moss stay consistent. Hopefully, Joe Budden figures out exactly where to land and how he wants to proceed with his show. And hopefully, all of them stay consistent in what they're doing and putting out content for us to enjoy and consume. And the last very quick unrelated aside related to podcast news is that Giovan and GAN, G-A-A-N, are two services, podcasting services, which are the most popular in India. India has a rising podcast interest population or listenership, and the main services that they use are those. Giovan, G-I-O-V-A-A-N, I believe it's spelled, and GAN, G-A-A-N. I believe Giovan's like numbers are like uh, 58 million regular like listenership and rising. And to get your podcast on there, you would have to like submit for it similar to all other podcasters like most podcasts most um podcasts that are like wide like this one like the spontaneous podcast for example where i go on to any and all services possible you know i'm not like exclusive with spotify or something like that most i would say like 85 90 percent just pull from shows that are already on apple so if there's a new podcatcher that that pops up odds are you'll be on it because they pull all the shows that are on Apple. So if you're on Apple, you're good. But again, that's for 85, 90% of the podcasters that are out there. Like the TuneIn's and iHeart, Crowdcast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in a case for the other like 10, 15%, and this is where Geovan falls in, you have to like physically submit to have your podcast ported over there. So you have to get, you know, fill out like a quick form on their website and give your like your podcast name description the rss feed and your email and then you know like 24 to 72 hours they like approve you and then all your shows are now available there which you're exposing yourself to 58 million plus and counting folks that are just getting into podcasts and why not you know why exclude yourself from the conversation when you don't have to so those podcasters of you out there definitely check that out if you're interested I'll link to Geovan uh, specifically uh, within the episode notes. And last but not least, the New York City primary election, specifically the mayoral race here in New York City, which I spoke about before, and the first time that we were using citywide ranked choice voting. As predicted by some, including myself, I believe it was a shit show after the elections, where the numbers being 
projected by the Board of Elections in terms of votes that were cast were incorrect, as if we needed something else to undermine the integrity of our elections. This is yet another thing that is undoubtedly going to leave a nasty taste in the mouth of skeptical folks that just think all elections are rigged and what's the point of voting, etc., etc. At least this one, they kind of sort of easily explained by stating that they put out the election results based on the votes that were actually tabulated, but also they mixed in test ballots that were used for testing purposes within the count of real votes. And that artificially inflated some candidates over others. Like for the first night or two, I believe Maya Wiley thought she was in in second place and she wasn't. Then Catherine Garcia was. Then once that was sorted out and everything was all said and done, Andrew Yang, my guy, Yang Gang, the person that received my first round, first choice vote, was definitely out by the first night or second night. I think it was clear. And he conceded uh, the race to the ultimate winner, my second choice, and most likely future mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. Now, I say most likely because he is the, this is the primary election, right? After the primary election, you have a general election. Within the primary election, it is an election within your own party to see who from your party, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, is going to run against the other party for the seat. So this was all Democrats running against each other in the primary election. And then you had a separate election with all Republicans running against each other to see who's going to represent the Republican Party. In New York, since it's a blue state, and this is why I say most likely, any Democrat going against any Republican, usually nine times out of 10, the Democrat is going to win because it's a blue state and there's so many more Democratic voters than Republican voters, especially citywide. You have certain pockets which are still like red, but again, citywide. And those pockets are more reflected in like assembly seats and city council seats, etc. Congressional seats even, but citywide, um, the blue candidate is going to win nine times out of 10. And Eric Adams was, for those of you who don't know, a retired uh, police officer. I think it was a, a detective or a lieutenant or something in the in law enforcement. And after that, and he's been serving as such, um, he's been in politics and his most recent seat held while he was running for, for mayor was Brooklyn Borough President. On the Republican side, he's going against for the general election, Curtis Sliwa, which for those of you who don't know, Curtis Sliwa, he's, he was like a pundit in New York one. He has like a radio show. He was also the founder of the guardian angels, which for those of you who don't know, which is something that I believe predates me when they were like really a thing. But I remember like hearing it when I was a kid and this pretty much non-armed group of vigilantes (laughs) that like fight crime. And try to like deter crime and and stuff like that and keep people safe like in subways and stuff like that and it was just like a picture like a neighborhood watch with guys with like jackets and like red berets and that would apparently just like fuck people up if they were like doing crime and stuff but they're not like cops or anything he was the creator of that group and you know what eric adams i'm not mad at it he was my second choice he's been in politics he's been in law enforcement he's a more of a centrist Democrat, which those of you who know me or, or follow this podcast, I'm a liberal on most things, but I'm more center 
I try to find like the compromise and shit, listen to both sides. I think we could use a little of that plus a little of this, not just like purely idealistic on one side, no matter what, or, or I believe in this because this is what my quote unquote side believes in. I'm more of like an issue per issue type of person. And then when you break down the issues per issues, I on more of those issues than not, I'm on the liberal side of things, but I'm very, again, gray in my thinking. It's not black or white. There's nuance. There's, you know, shit in the middle. So candidates that are more center, both on the right and left are the ones that appeal to me most. And I think now in a time where like crime is going up, violent crime is going up, gun shootings and stuff like that here, specifically within New York City is going up. You need somebody who is going to be tough on crime, but not Bloomberg, stop and frisk, target black and brown people tough on crime. You don't need someone who's going to be tough on crime, but also not shun the idealistic approaches to considering social work, considering neighborhood policing, while not taking like the Bill de Blasio type of approach of not letting cops, good police do their jobs. Because at the end of the day, we all want to be safe in our neighborhoods, right? We all want our kids to be safe when they go to schools, when they're outside playing. Fucking the other day here near me in uh, somewhere in, in Richmond Hill, there was like a, and this video like went viral. I'm sure many of you have seen it, but there was a, like a guy came out of a car and there was like a mom walking with her, like two or three kids. And he came out of, he parked the car, came out, just ran and like grabbed the kid from the sidewalk and threw him in his car and was like a, about to like bounce, like kidnap her kid. And she like ran and like fought through the window and like pulled the, they were able to like pull the kid out, thankfully. But when you like see shit like that happening and like, I'm sure you guys have seen like the, like the shootings and like Times Square in the middle of the fucking day and that other shooting, you know, a bunch of shootings in the Bronx, but that other shooting where the guy was like running from the other guy and the guy ran in front of, uh, or like there was these like kids there in the way and they all like fell while the guy was running and, and the guy was trying to like shoot around the kids. Like what the fuck, man? Like knuckleheads and pieces of shit like that. We got to clean that shit up. Black, brown, white, whatever. Hispanic, Chinese, whatever the fuck they are, it doesn't matter. And Eric Adams, with the background that he has as a police officer and also a centrist type of politician, I think had a good shot as at approaching and tackling those issues without being too one-sided one way or the other. But we shall see. Anyway, folks, that is it. That is episode 185 of the Spun Today podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you so much for listening to this show, listening to my recaps and reviews and meanderings and dumb thoughts on this show. Why do you do it? I don't know, but I'm glad you do because it gives me even more of a reason to continue doing the show. So thank you. And with that said, please stick around to listen to a few ways that you can help support the Spun Today podcast if you so choose. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few quick ways you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors in all different sizes. Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt. Also available in a bunch of different colors 
in all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out. Spuntoday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section where you can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other, which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the Spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spun Today on Twitter at Spun Today on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Spun Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address and you'll get the very next one. If you want to help support the Spun Today podcast financially, you can do so by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. Here you'll find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, spuntoday.com forward slash support. Click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up reoccurring 
donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page. And if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? SpunToday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.